You're listening to the Westchester Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ.
I know a little chaos up here, we never quite got it going, but thank you to the congregation for your rousing singing, it sounded great. Thank you to the singers for putting up with all this, and I'm sure the next week we'll figure it out. Uh, we decided last week in the chapel it was just a, a little bit uh, medieval to be there with our own um, Although I did feel that it was uh, good for us because it helped us relate to those in the Middle Ages that had no peace in their, in their cathedrals. Uh, but we thought, you know, we're spoiled, let's just be in the heat here today. And uh, once school is, uh, is going again, I'm sure that they'll heat up the chapel for us. Um, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and starting at verse 9. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. It's the second letter to the church in Corinth. And he states in verse 9, We make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. This is all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so the big picture here is that Paul was appealing to the church to be reconciled to the Lord. In fact, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 6, a you know, little bit after that, he says, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And so he said, you need to understand what's really going on here so that, you're not, so that your religion is not in vain, your practice is not in vain, so that it's authentic. And so that's what he's addressing here. He's addressing about our hearts. What's in your heart? What's going on? What, what moves you? What motivates you? What floats your boat? What gets you up in the morning? What inspires you in your life? That's basically what he's addressing here. So let's go back and let's reread this and let's talk about it and let's see how it fits into our lives. Where are we in this story? Verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Fact, we're all going to appear before Jesus someday. And as the Bible puts it, it can happen in an instant. In fact, when we least expect it, is how Jesus said. He said, if you're really expecting me to come, I probably won't come at that moment. It's when you least expect me, that's when I'll be there. And it could be at night, it could be during day, we could be working, we could be at a movie theater, who knows? It's just going to happen. And so as a result, Paul says, we make it our goal to please Him. Since we're going to stand before Christ, we're going to want Jesus to smile, right? We're going to want, when we appear before Jesus, we want Jesus to say, Wow, I am so happy that you're here. We are going to rejoice forever. I mean, how horrified it would be to stand before Christ and realize you weren't right with Him. That would, that, we don't want that. Verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to, what? Persuade others. We know what it is to fear the Lord because we're all going to be standing before Christ so the natural response to this is, we want everybody to know this. Amen. We, we, we want people to know that they're going to be standing before Christ and it can happen at any moment. And we don't want to just inform people. We want to do what? What's the heart here? Persuade. We want to persuade. We, we want to get in there. We want to try to get to know people and, and really help them understanding understand what's going on here in the big spiritual picture of things. I mean, that's what we were built for, right? I mean, if you drive by and there's a car that's just been in an accident and it catches fire and the person's unconscious, what are you going to do? You're going to help them. I think we're built for that, aren't we? Aren't we built for pulling people out of burning vehicles? That's how God made us. God made us with a heart of compassion to pull people out. Even if they don't know what's going on, Let's, let's get them going. Some yeah. people are disillusioned. No, I'm fine. No, you need to get out. The house is on fire. No, I'm fine. I'm watching TV. This is my favorite program. No, the house is on fire. That's what I said when our house caught fire four years ago. I said to my daughter, honey, get out of bed. Quick. She goes, no, I'm sleeping. I go, no, the house is on fire. She goes, no, I need to rest more. I'm sick. No, the house is on fire. And I said, and I threw off the covers. I forced her up. She goes, but I just, I, I don't want to go. And I and I kept telling her to put on more and more clothes, more and more clothes. And finally she heard the fire in the attic. But you know, until she heard the fire, she didn't believe me. Because she was sleeping. She was comfortable. She, she didn't want to be woken up. And that's how people are in the world. They're comfortable. They don't want to, most Americans don't want to be woken up. But the Bible says when you know what's going on, you... Paul goes on. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it's plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. You see, Paul, people were falsely judging Paul and his companions as inauthentic. They were judging them based on outward appearances. Paul was not that impressive of a speaker. Um, maybe he complained to God about that. God, you have me you know, proclaiming your, your gospel and planting churches. Could I be a better speaker than this? But people said he was you know, unimpressive. 
And so um, people were, were judging Paul by that. Uh, people were saying they were out of their minds. Look at verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, they were saying Paul was out of his mind. Uh, it, is, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love, and here's our key scripture here, Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. See, Paul is declaring that he was compelled. We are compelled by Christ's love. Because we're convinced that Christ died for us. Even if I was the only person that Christ could have saved, he still would have died for me. That's amazing. What's interesting, of course, about the Bible is it's written in Greek. Koine Greek, common Greek. Koine means common. When you go back to this Greek word, it's a very interesting Greek word. It can be translated compelled. It can be translated constrained, which many translations use, constrained. But this is the same Greek word that is used to arrest somebody. When you say, I've been arrested, that's the word you're using, the Greek word. I've been arrested. I've been compelled. I've been constrained. I've been arrested. Wow. A love, Paul is saying that Christ's love arrests him. It has constrained him. It has arrested him because of his will to be arrested. It's completely the opposite of how people normally use the word. I've been arrested. Complain, complain, complain. He's saying, I've been arrested by Christ's love for me. I am so blown away by how much Jesus loves me, I've been arrested. It almost sounds romantic. I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love, I don't know what to do about it. I can't help it, I'm in love. That's really what he's saying. Isn't that amazing? Paul was so compelled, so moved, so inspired that other people said, you're out of your mind. It just didn't look normal. You see, a love for Jesus, that kind of love for Jesus isn't going to look normal here in America. That's right. That's weird. That's a Jesus freak level. That's just too religious for most people. No, no, no. We blend Christianity into our lives. A little bit of church is good. You know, especially Easter and Christmas. If you call yourself a Christian, you better go Easter and Christmas. Unless you're sick or unless you're lazy. Or unless you're out of town or unless you're skiing. But for the, for the most part... Make sure you're there. But, uh, you know, so that's normal. Having a little bit of Jesus is normal. But when you're in love with Jesus that much, when you are arrested by the love of Jesus, that just looks weird to most people. You know, we're all motivated by certain things. To become a Christian, you know, you're motivated to become a Christian. Other things motivate you to stay a Christian. Maybe you want to become a Christian uh, because of prosperity. Maybe you want to stay a Christian because of promises of health. Maybe you become a Christian or stay a Christian because you don't want to go to hell. Well, what's interesting about Paul is we don't see that. We don't see any of that. We just see a pure gratitude. A pure love for this. 
What kept Paul in the church, what kept Paul in the mission was love. It was all about his love for Christ. He was compelled, constrained, arrested. He does talk about fear here. Did you notice that in verse 11? Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. So some of us think, well, that means that we're all really scared. What's keeping us in the kingdom is we're all really, really scared. That's out of context, though. Go back to verse 11 and look at this. I mean, it says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade who? Us? Who are we persuading here? The people have done that. We don't want to go to hell. That's the wrong motivation. That's not going to get you very far. No, we know what it is to fear the Lord because everyone's going to stand before Christ and we want to make sure that everyone's going to get a big smile and a welcome and a well done, good and faithful servant. And we know that isn't going to happen with most people. Because most people don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's more of a cultural, traditional, rote, religious affiliation than it is a personal connection. So because of that, we have compassion and we try to persuade others. So he feared for others. He wasn't fearing for himself. The motivation, the motivating power to be a disciple and to stay a disciple is the constraining love of Jesus. Think about it. Love is a very powerful motivator, isn't it? Love is far more a motivator than fear. Fear is limited. You can only go do so much with fear. But with love, wow. You know, love is so powerful. Love is the only thing that can produce a willing heart. Love is the only thing that can produce a wanting to obey heart. Fear can't do that. Fear can force someone into a mold, and Christianity isn't a mold to be forced into. It's not true Christianity. Only religions of that, not true Christianity. The only thing that can create true, authentic Christianity is to be so compelled by love that you want to obey. What more can I do? Not, well, what do I have to do? I've got to go to church. Okay, check. Okay, I'll just have to work it into my schedule. Uh, i got to get together with other people every once in a while. Okay, well, okay, check. I don't really relate to anybody in the room, but okay, I'll do it anyway. You know, it's, it's not a checklist. That, that, that's that's fear-based. Love-based is, love is so powerful, it gives you a willing heart, a willing spirit, a wanting. And not just for a few days. True love gives you the same heart, the same spirit, for days, for weeks, for months, for years. This is what true Christianity is all about. Being held in Christ by being blown away, compelled, and even arrested by the love of Jesus for your life. Love does not depend on emotion to act. Now love will produce action whether the emotion is there or not. This is the beautiful thing about true love. True love, it's just going to do something. Something's going to happen here. When you love Jesus. Whether you feel like it or not, it's going to happen. Because love perseveres beyond any initial feelings that you might have. For instance, when you first fall in love, you feel 
a lot of emotion. I remember the first time when I realized that I had fallen in love with Teresa. I was like, hmm. <laughs> I called my mom right away. I said, I'm in love. I told the brothers I'm close to, I'm in love. Now, I wish that every single morning I woke up with those exact same emotions. Yes, I'm going to keep it real. But I can say this. I am very much in love with Teresa. I'm more in love with Teresa than I've ever been in love with There's no one in the world I would rather be with than Teresa. And Jesus. <laughs> There's no one that's been more influential in my life than Teresa Davis Brown. But that didn't happen from emotion. That didn't happen because I just sort of was carried along. That happened because I built a relationship with her. You know, this year in two months, we're going to celebrate our 25th wedding now. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Excited we're going to go to Italy. I don't think I'll be able to drive a Ferrari. That's not in the price point. I know others have done it. But we're going to have fun. We're going to eat a lot. See things. You're not invited. But Therese and I have spent 25 years building a relationship. You know, 25-year relationships aren't built in one day or through emotion. They're built. They don't just happen. And it's the same with Jesus. A love for Jesus like this, the depth of love for Jesus that Paul experienced or that we experience, isn't going to be built in a day. It's through constant falling in love with the one who died for us. It's understanding the depth of Jesus' love for us, understanding what Jesus has done for us. And when you deeply understand what Jesus has done for you, you can't help but feel compelled. You know, it's really hard to say no to a man who died for you. A man who laid down his life for you. You could say it's a, it's a true test of the heart, what you do with this. You just want to incorporate Jesus into your life a little bit through a little church and a little fellowship? I don't think that we get it if that's the case. You see, love is not the emotion. That's not how the Bible defines it. First Corinthians 13 has no word for emotion in there whatsoever in its definition of love. First Corinthians 13, check it out. Love is a state of heart. Amen. So let's finish the passage. We looked at the context of love compelling us. Now let's finish it up by looking at the final context here. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Well now that makes sense now, doesn't it? Because the more you understand Jesus' love, the more you're compelled by the love. You don't even want to live for you. You're not even interested in living for the temporary stuff of the world, the things that come and go. It's like, that stuff is just fluff. 
You want to be able to live for Jesus. Once, you're, once you understand Jesus' love, true love, you're no longer motivated by the worldly things. Nothing's going to substitute for a deep, personal relationship with Jesus. We don't want to do what we used to do. We don't want to live the way we used to live. So in verse 16, he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, judging everything by the world. We don't, we don't want to do that. Once we regard Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So all of us at one time viewed Christ this way. It's just, a, it's just a path to prosperity, or a path to health, or a path to happiness. We don't do that anymore. Instead, it's all about relationship. We don't seek Christ out of fear. We're not constrained by fears and rules. We're constrained by a loving relationship. Now, this is so contrary to conventional thinking that Paul says in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, he's a new creation. The new has come. The old is gone. The new is here. It's so radical. This mindset is so different from the world. It's so radical that Paul says it's a, you're a new person. You see, Christianity isn't a self-improvement plan. Christianity is a Christ replacement plan. That's why the Bible says you're born again. You don't gradually become a Christian. You don't, over time, I used to think that. I, I, I thought I just sort of gradually became a Christian. So the Bible says you actually have to die you have to be buried in baptism and raised to live a new life. The new life doesn't begin until you die and are born again in the water and spirit. This doesn't happen. So Paul says that we become a brand new person. Verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us something. What did he give us, according to this verse? He gave us a ministry of... What does reconciliation mean? Repairing, where you're reconciling. You're helping... Who's, who's helping who here? We're helping people. Which people? Us. We're helping people that don't have a relationship with, with Jesus or God. They're confused. They think Christianity is something you do rather than who you are. And so we go to those people who are caught or trapped in a religion of fear or rules and regulations or traditions or culture and say, wait a minute, there's more to it than that. There's actually good news. The gospel means good news. So we're, let, let me help you out. Let me help you understand what real Christianity is all about. It's not about what you do. It's really about a relationship with Jesus. And it's a mind-blowing relationship. When you get his love for you, your life will be so radically changed the circumstances of this life are secondary compared to the joys of just walking with Jesus. Amen. That's called sharing your faith. Amen. It's not wrong to invite people to church. I invite people to church all the time. But if that's all you do, you've never shared your faith. Yeah. We want to be able to share our faith, share our relationship with God. That's why for communions, we're, we're getting people to focus on what Jesus means to them. Amen. The communions are an opportunity as a testimony. To share about why you became a Christian, or to share about how Jesus has changed your life, or how Jesus has motivated you, or how Jesus has inspired you. That's called sharing your faith. And that's what we want to do with the people around us. How many people at work know what you know about Jesus? 
So I think we got some work to do, right? Because we have the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's good news. That's really good news. Because in the last day, you don't want your sins counted against you. You're never going to get into heaven. Heaven isn't, isn't, a, isn't a scale where if you've done more good than bad, you're in. And if you've done more bad than good, you're out. And very few people are going to hell based on that. No, heaven is, you can be nearly perfect and have sinned only one time and you're going to hell. Hell is separation from God. Even if all hell is, is just being separated from God, who is love, God is love. Love is patient, love is kind, he does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keep no record of wrongs. If I'm separated from that, that's hell. And can you imagine being somewhere where you're separated from all love and knowing you had a shot at being in love, but instead you procrastinated and are now out? Whoa, that's hell. So, we've got a ministry here, right? And this is a cool ministry. This is good news. This is really good news. It shouldn't freak us out. Shouldn't shouldn't make us panic. Oh no, what am I going to do? Because Jesus said, "And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." So we have this ministry, and so verse nineteen says He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. How beautiful that is! And look at the dignity He gives this job. Look at verse twenty. Look at the, look at the title He's giving this responsibility we have to be ministers of reconciliation. He says in verse twenty, "We're therefore Christ's." Wow. Hey, I'd like to be an ambassador. You get chosen by the president to be an ambassador. You get to go to that country and be someone. You walk into the country with your diplomatic passport, I'm the ambassador. You get to walk around those people of that country as the ambassador. You get to park wherever you want to park. <laughs> You could ignore all those tickets because you're the ambassador. <laughs> well, I gotta be honest, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I gotta admit, heaven's better. Heaven's better. Jesus is so honored that you would become a, a true Christian. Jesus is so honored that you would be a disciple. He's giving you the title ambassador. And I think we need to feel honored. I think we need to feel honored that we have such a powerful role in the kingdom of God that we would have the title ambassador. Because we've got this ministry of reconciliation, and that's what ambassadors do. They reconcile countries together. Now, sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. Sometimes it doesn't work. But that's the purpose of ambassadors, to try to bring build bridges of reconciliation. And that's what we are. We're ambassadors. Wow. That's so cool. So how does Paul end? He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. It starts with us. We need to be first reconciled to Jesus' love for us. And when we are, we will be motivated. Our hearts will be willing. Our hearts will be wanting to then do what Jesus wants us to do. And that's to be an ambassador of reconciliation. You see, it's very hard to be an ambassador of reconciliation if you yourself haven't been reconciled. 
So it does start with us. It does start with us. And what, what needs to get reconciled here? What needs to get reconciled is that Christianity isn't rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not this thing where, well, I guess I have to. It's I want to, I'm drawn to, I am motivated. So we need to get reconciled first to the love of Jesus. And maybe you're not feeling it. Maybe you're, you're, you're weak, and that's okay. This is a non-judgment zone here. Come as you are. But then learn from Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn, and I will help you. Because throughout this whole passage, Paul's saying that he's talking about reconciliation. He says we make it our goal to please him, to persuade others. We're compelled by Christ's love for us. We no longer want to live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised again. We're taking on a new career to be Christ's ambassadors here on earth. It's all because we're compelled by that deep love of Jesus. We're arrested by it. When we get it, we're arrested. And we're motivated. So how can we go from point A to point B? What if you say, man, I'm not there. I'm, I really want heaven to just be a place of no pain, no suffering, no bills. Tired of the bills. My boss, he ain't getting there. How do we go from that mindset to the mindset of, I just love Jesus. I just, Jesus, without Jesus, that's not heaven. You can take the world, you can take the money, you can take the pleasures, you can even take my health, but give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Well, it's just like any other relationship. It's what you invest in. If you're studying your Bible once a week, you're going to get a once-a-week relationship. If you're studying every day, you're going to get a daily. So what are we going to do? Well, we want Jesus. So we're going to get in our Bibles this year. And we're going to get Jesus. We're going to work on our relationship with Jesus. We're going to help one another work on our relationship with Jesus. And boy, we're going to be motivated and we're going to be inspired. You know, spending time with Jesus, the Bible isn't a rule book, it's a love letter. When you spend that much time in a love letter, you're going to be motivated. We're not Jesus' employees. We're his sons and daughters. So Jesus is calling us, calling us back. Be reconciled to my love, but then go out and help reconcile others. Amen. You just listened to the Westchester Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nycococ.net.